You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the On The Beat Podcast. Full disclosure, we're recording this on Monday, January 11th. So whenever you hear it, know that what we're talking about today could be different tomorrow, given the situation that's going on in the world. On The Beat means I've got Greg Barnes, and we've got two other Inside Carolina beat writer slash youngins, Gregory Hall and Luke Buxton, um, makes it fun for us. If you're on a YouTube version, you can see Gregory with the fancy neon lights and LED lights in his room there. Name and, the uh, flag. Name the flag. <clears throat> can't do it. Sweden. What is Greece, it? Greece, right? Yeah, it's Greece. Nice. I show my ignorance on a daily basis. <laughs> I'm pretty here. sure Ross also guessed Sweden. <laughs> I just, you know, what is, I came what? <laughs> Come on, man. I didn't have you on here to get us off track right out the gate. <laughs> Luke Buxton with the uh, Shield AirPods. He, he's the cool. No, I'm missing out. I didn't get the memo on that. Uh, he's the cool guy of the bunch. We all got our, our, our nerd headset. Sounds great, though. Take a chance to rate us and review us on Apple iTunes and however you get your, uh, however you get your podcast. And also subscribe on youtube i'm gonna come to greg barnes greg this is on the beat so let's talk about um your comings and goings of the week here carolina clemson canceled on saturday Um, syracuse comes to town on tuesday where where is this team seven and four going into a syracuse game that we'll get more into at some point during this podcast this is uh i'm having a hard time wrapping my head around is this team much different from last year Tell me why it is. Uh, that's a good question. And, and I think if you look at maybe some of the results, um, at a high level, you can come to that conclusion that there's a lot of similarities. I do think the, the, the big difference is, is that this team has proven that it, it, it doesn't back down. And when it gets down, it fights. And I, you know, we really couldn't say that about last year's team. I think the, the largest – deficit they ever come to to win a game was one point if, if i've got that correct uh so that's that's problematic and maybe that was one point in the second half um but the point point remains this team has proven that even though they do play sloppy at times you know, they struggle to shoot the ball they're not the best defensively yet and they're not maximizing the post and garrison brooks is not playing like a uh, acc player of the year candidate uh despite all of that They've gotten down in a lot of these games, and they've battled back. And they've taken the lead in most of the games, and they've been competitive to the end. So foundationally, I think that is something you can build upon, uh, and that, that's a good thing. You have to address all the other issues. Um, but I think the fact that this team has some fight is, is positive. Now, uh, I think there is some, some challenges uh, with the way the schedule is set up. The fact that they you lost a uh, preseason scrimmage game, they lost a preseason uh, exhibition game, they lost four non-conference games, 
all those things add up and it kind of leads to a situation where when you're relying on six freshmen in your primary rotation, there's going to be up and ups and downs and they just have not uh, grown as a team and adjusted well enough yet or, or near as, as quickly as they needed to. And so I think that's where some of the frustration comes from. And then you add in the fact that, you know, the Elon game gets postponed or gets canceled until next year. They have to add central at the last minute. Uh, they've had two ACC games that were, that were changed. Um, I think all that adds to the uncertainty. I mean, the fact that North Carolina was in the middle of a walkthrough for Clemson, finalizing their game plan for Clemson, and in the middle of practice, somebody comes out and tells Roy, yeah, I'm not playing the game. We're going to try to get another game next week. And so I think there's some frustration there as well. And this is made for a very difficult first, what are we, six, seven weeks into the season. Luke, I'll come to you since we hadn't really had you on these podcasts and Gregory can be last. Um, if, if you're not last, you're first, Gregory. Think about it that way. Uh, Luke, your thoughts on this team thus far? I mean, they've got talent. And I think the biggest point that Greg made there is that they do not quit. They were at times last year where they were up 10 and everybody watching knew they were not going to win that game. That hadn't been the case this year. I mean, losing to Texas, not a bad loss. Losing to Iowa, not a bad loss. We could argue Georgia Tech is a really bad loss, and I think NC State's decent. Um, but this team has grinded it out. Um, what have you seen that's provided them success? And then we'll get into uh, what has caused them angst and caused them the losses later. Yeah, I think Greg hit it spot on. After the Texas game, I asked Garrison, what's different about this year's team, or this year's team to last year's team? And he said, last year's team would have quit and we would have lost and gotten blown out. This year's team loses on a buzzer beater. And then Mondo drops the ex expletive against Kentucky when he says, we're not backing down, you know, we're going to hang tough. So I think there is a little bit of a culture shift from last year. I think the main thing this team is missing, it's actually two things. One, I think it's leadership on the court. I think Garrison is kind of the trusted leader, but when he is struggling as much as he has, I think Garrison has a tendency to get down on himself and not have the same presence that Garrison is capable of. He's the guy everyone looks to. He's the known leader. He's, he's a senior. He's the ACC preseason uh, player of the year. But when he's lost, I think this team kind of gets lost. It's kind of if the queen bee in a honey hive gets killed, everyone kind of scrambles, and that's kind of what it looks like to me. Uh, the other thing is – point guard play. I think every staple great Carolina team has had a point guard who is known and owned the offense. Um, you think back, it's kind of more like three-year guys, four-year guys, Marcus Page, Fel Felton, Kendall Marshall, Joel Berry. C Kobe White was a rare breed and exception who was able to make a big difference as a freshman. But this year when you have, you know, two freshman point guards with um, Love and RJ Davis who are struggling shooting, turning the ball over a lot, struggling running the offense, it makes it really tough on the team. I think it's hard to get into a flow, hard to get into a rhythm. Um, and it comes with – I'm not giving up on them yet. I think they still have a lot of experience um, to be had and a lot of learning um, to be done. And as Greg mentioned, they missed a lot of those early opportunities, and Roy will talk about that a lot in his, in his press conferences. But I think the two things, the strong point guard play, keep taking care of the ball, limiting turnovers, getting that assist to turnover ratio up, but also, I think it really starts with Garrison having a leader on the court and him playing well, I think will have a trickle-down effect and reverberate across the team. Gregory, that's a great point that Luke makes about Garrison is if you're going to have a senior leader, he's got to do it. And, 
you know, he can lead by example, sure, but he's not – he's struggled a lot this year. Um, and you see a guy like Dayron Sharp has been – you know, showed more outward leadership or at least outward um, spunk on the court when things go right or even when they go wrong. And you have – Luke mentioned Kobe White, and this is what's interesting with me with Kobe White. I wonder how Kobe would have fared without the leaders that he had around him. Caleb Love, R.J. Davis just don't have that chance. So what needs to happen here? Is it something that somebody could flip a switch and say, let's go, be a leader. Whether or not I'm doing well, I'm going to be a leader. I mean, we're at January the 11th, January 12th, almost halfway through the season already. Um, what do you expect to happen? Yeah, that's a interesting thing to think about as far as where, what Kobe, how Kobe would have fared. One thing that I've been thinking of as kind of watching the point guard play, Caleb Love has struggled shooting since the outgo. Um, but R.J. Davis, I'm looking at his game-by-game game stats here, and, I mean, he posted double figures in the team's first five games, and then he's only done it once since the Iowa game. So when I look at this team, obviously Garrison has not played up to his standards. And, look, he wasn't going to be ACC player of the year. He could have been. Um, I don't think that was fair to Garrison as far as what the rest of this team, like the weapons that they have with Dayron, and we've seen what Dayron can do. Um, but I don't think this team is very far off if Garrison can get back to being dominant um, as far as the, when he has the ball, not going up soft for a shot, not settling for those fadeaway, fadeaway jumpers and things like that. But as far as RJ Davis and Caleb Love are concerned, I, I guess maybe it's nerves at this point and they're in their head because I mean, RJ one for seven, one for six, one for five in his last three games. So he's probably in his head. Um, you've seen Caleb love. We've seen him take less and less shots. Maybe he's not confident shooting the ball. Um, I mean, he basically had shot at least 10 shots in every game up until Notre Dame and Miami um, when he was seven and nine. And that one, three, obviously for Caleb was huge. And as Roy mentioned, shots like that are what gain, what get your confidence back. But it's really – they're not focusing on the little things right now, which is what I think is driving Roy absolutely up a wall as far as, okay, you're not – your shots aren't going in. Take better shots. And they seem to be doing that sometimes when Caleb charges down the court in transition and likes to pull up from 15 feet every single time. You look at Roy Williams on the court and he just puts his hands – puts his head in his hands. He's like, like Why? But the other things, the turnovers are mind-boggling. If they can clean that up, and that's not just a Caleb and RJ situation. That's the whole team. I'm, I, I'm still not really sure how they kind of almost look like they forgot to play when you go from the Notre Dame game, I think, is where it was only eight turnovers that they allowed or that they turned over, and then you – was the Notre Dame game? Yeah, eight turnovers against Notre Dame, 20 against Miami. And it's not like Miami is like a unworldly defensive team. So it's those little things that don't really – add up as to far as look you only turn the ball over eight times do what you did again and I think that's where the lack of leadership comes in of Garrison reminding them look we can do this but we're they're not and I think moving forward the leadership and the guards will figure it out I just think they need to focus on the things that they can control if the shot's not going in yeah and I think a key for the young guys and this is kind of an issue number one Everybody needs to understand that, that freshman guards, most of the time, 
struggle to shoot the ball, and it takes sure. him a couple of years. Marcus Page is a great example. We see a guy like Kobe White or Cole Anthony, who are like elite talents, come in, and it's easy for them. But for most of these freshmen, it takes a while. Uh, I mean, Marcus, Joel Berry, uh, I think Justin Jackson struggled a little bit. So that, that's part of the process. What we're not seeing, however, is that North Carolina um, is not taking care of the ball, as Gregory mentioned. Uh, but they're also not doing a very good job forcing turnovers. And so what, that, what happens is that you're, you're not stopping a team from scoring. You're not forcing turnovers. Therefore, your transition opportunities have diminished. And what we've seen a lot over the years is that when you talk about confidence building, when Caleb Love and R.J. Davis can get out and transition, they look a lot better than they do trying to operate through a half-court set, which is not defined, by the way. Remember, it's a philosophy. They run some plays, but for the most part, it's freelance. It's about learning what your teammates like, and that's why teams that have experienced players in Roy's system, they score a lot better in the half court. They don't struggle as much because they can read each other and they know where they like to get the ball and those kinds of things. So all these things have kind of folded into the situation where the guards are, are just struggling. Um, and for, for North Carolina to kind of – to be able to score in the current setup, your goal really is to pound the ball down low. And that's the importance of Curtin, Curran Walton coming on the way that he has. Because at least when you have him on the court, you know that, okay, this kid has proven over a stretch of five or six games, he can knock down three-point shots if he's left open. And so that, that really tests the defense to say, okay, uh, he's on our scouting report now. We know this is a guy that we have to pay attention to. And just by expanding the defense in that way, it makes it easier to get those entry passes inside. Uh, but before Walton started shooting well, this team had no outside shooting. So teams were able to sag off the perimeter, made it very difficult to get into the paint. And then when you're not having transition on top of that, that's why you see North Carolina looking here. 286th nationally out of 350 teams in effective field goal percentage. Um, for a Roy Williams program that relies on scoring the ball first and foremost, that explains why this team has struggled the way that they have. Aside from last year, I'd like to see the historical stats on that number for Roy Williams coach basketball teams for Carolina period. They were 309th last season. So you take away this season and last year, I'd wager they probably hadn't been – Above 100, 150 well, ever, have they? They've been. I'm just going back. I mean, you can kind of guess the years where they haven't shot the ball particularly well. But even like 2010, which is the year that, you know, 2009, 2010, that we all kind of park back on because they went to the NIT, they shot 48% effective field goal percentage, which is pretty bad. Uh, this year they're at 46.1, uh, which is a lot worse. Last year they were 46.4. So <laughs> the team currently is shooting worse than they did last year, which is – That's not great. That's not great. It didn't seem like it could be lower than last year. Well, it's funny because they still lead the nation in offensive rebounds per game, which is like, – no That's matter. one way to do it. I mean, a well, shot. They, they, their they, best they offense is to miss a shot and then get that shot, miss another shot, grab that, and then get the two points. They're on short kind of reminds me of like the Bryce Johnson where you miss three shots, grab three, three rebounds, and finally make the point and pat the stats. They're playing yeah. volleyball around the rim. Yeah, he gets like a double-double on the same possession. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's what's been interesting to me is they, they're so good inside, um, but they haven't, haven't been able to – put it all together i mean you would 
you would think a guy and and for Roy Williams, thank goodness Curran Walton has stepped up because without him, like you mentioned, Greg, it was bad. But I mean, you would think that guys can shoot it. R.J. Davis too would live with bigs like that, and that's what I believe. And Gregory, you can speak to this. Watching this, the composition of this team. Sure, COVID's changed everything. We're not going to discuss that. But that is where, if I'm an outside shooter, and you tell me I've got four, th- uh, one stud, proven stud big, and three others that are expected to be really good, I'm living the high life because I'm just sitting on the wing shooting the threes. And, and I think that's the thing that maybe has frustrated the fan base. I'm sure it's frustrated Roy Williams, Gregory, that they just haven't been able to do that at all. Caleb wants to drive the ball, though. So yeah. I think a lot of the problems are his – and we saw this with Cole Anthony last year – is trying to force things. And he, he wants to drive just like in high school. You could just kind of drive in, make guys miss, and do whatever you wanted. Caleb Love has made some of those same mistakes. And watching the big men down low, there's times when there's, they're both on the same side of the paint. Yeah. And Caleb Love will try to drive in – and there's either Garrison – I think a lot of the times I've seen it with Garrison and Walker Kessler on the floor. They just haven't really been in sync. I don't have evidence to back that up other than my eyes. But a lot of times – and then at the last second, one of them noted, realizes that they're both on the same side and they're having to switch. And then Caleb's driving and he's running into his two own teammates and the two guys that are defending them. And there's nothing there. And then he's kind of like, oh, crap and he either pulls up on an ill-advised pull-up jumper or he tries to dish it out, and then there's turnovers. And Greg mentions Kerwin Walton here, and obviously he's been a bright spot with him shooting the ball. But I'm curious if teams are going to slowly figure out that he's not a catch-and-shoot kind of guy because he always needs to gather himself, whether it's taking a dribble or – I remember, I'm not sure which game it was – but it was they designed a play for him off of a inbounds play, and he comes off the screen, catches it, and normally you just catch top of the key, go up and shoot. He pump faked it, which made his guy jump and fly by him, and he did like the sidestep and go. But he didn't even need to pump fake it because the guy wasn't in, was coming from the free throw line. But he still wasn't comfortable with his movement. So I'm curious the development of that is if he can learn to be a better catch and shoot guy or if defenses are going to figure out and then that's going to need mean other people are going to have to like step up and shoot the ball so i'm curious to see how that development happens with with kerwin moving forward i agree with that i think that was nc state game he had a couple good clean looks and didn't take it because he's not like you mentioned a straight catch and shoot luke Look, and we mentioned Caleb Love there, the styles. That that has been one thing to watch this year. Love is a slasher, and it is impossible to slash when you've got 14 feet of big man clogging up lane. And I talked to Dewey about it when we do these post games. Is there hasn't been a fundamental shift in clearing the lane to give Caleb some driving space, and that's something I thought we would see a little bit. But it's kind of difficult to clear the lane with the bigs when their defenders know full well they're not going to – you know, if Garrison Brooks goes out, he'll shoot a three. Mm. Kessler has shot a couple, but uh, Baycott's not shooting anything over 15 feet. And if he shoots it at 15 feet, it's probably a bad shot, at least thus far in his career. 
So how does Caleb Love work that? Uh, I mean, he's doing his best to adapt. He has not been good. He'd freely admit it. Um, so how does he sort of, during the middle of a season, fit his game to fit what Roy is still trying to do here in mid-January? Yeah, the biggest problem I see with Caleb Love on the drive is he looks like he has tunnel vision. Where he, when he's driving, you know he's either going to shoot it or he's going to realize last second that the shot's not there and he's going to try to make some crazy pass. And that's, I think, where a lot of the turnovers come. It's The thing with the bigs, Gregor mentioned, that's a communication issue. It's, it's not being used to playing with each other. It, it seems like the, the offense is out of sorts. They don't know where to be on the – they don't know their spots. They don't know where to be on the court. when They don't know how Caleb plays exactly. So if Caleb traditionally drives left, they don't understand it. And it doesn't look like they've really been a team for a while, in which they haven't, which I think we kind of have to realize and, and understand that these plays that you see when you have a great team with great chemistry don't come naturally to this team because they're still trying to figure everyone out. I think Caleb needs to start looking for the pass more. I think so much he goes in driving and then it ends up being a, a step back pull up or he's throwing kind of an off balance shot off the glass and then the, the uh, bigs are out of position so they can't go and get the rebound. I think a lot of the UNC offense needs to be a little more circular motion where it's a drive and kick, swing, big switch shift over, rotate. And there needs to be more communication. I think it goes back to a leadership issue. It seems that everyone kind of is looking for someone to make a play. There's no one that – there's no, you know, Caleb drives in, kicks the play tech, play tech swings out to Kerwin, guards rotate, you run secondary break, you get a one-on-one -on -one matchup, and Armando can finish. I think there needs to be more motion on the offense, and that's going to come more playing together, but I think that's the, the crux of the problem right now. It's everyone's looking – to play one-on-one -on -one ball when the offense is stagnant and the end of the shot clock, and there's no great possessions that we've really seen out of Carolina so far. So, Greg, how's it change? I mean, at this point, we've talked about you are what you are. I mean, how does Roy Williams get the guys to kick in? Because to the point of the bigs, I mean, it's painful to watch uh, the bigs, and we're just talking on the offensive end. We're not even talking about defensive end. See those guys bump into each other, in each other's space. Um, so where's it got to come from for this team to improve? Because, and we'll talk about Syracuse after the break. If you're stagnant against a team like Syracuse, it's going to be ugly. No matter how bad Syracuse is or how good Syracuse is, it's going to be ugly if you're stagnant. Where's it need to come from? Well, a lot of good points have been made here. Um, one key one, though, I think is fans are probably wondering and are saying – because they, they saw what happened last year. You know, Cole Anthony, if you'd cleared out for him, that's a scoring opportunity at, at the glass. And they're saying the same thing about Caleb. I think everybody watched the Kentucky game where North Carolina had better spacing because it was an up-and-down ball game. And Caleb looked great because he was able to get to the rim. Um, and the fact – we joke about it, uh, about the offensive rebounding. But that's a game plan. If you let these guards get to the rim, at least get a decent shot up, you got to like your chances of getting a rebound and either scoring or getting fouled. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a good strategy. Uh, but when you're talking about what Roy Williams has to do, you've got four bigs, yes. But as you say, Tommy, Garrison's the only one that can play the four. I mean, the other three guys are fives. And they're, they're pretty much true centers. Um, and your strength right now, and your only strength, to be, to be fair, is your rebounding. 
So you have to keep two bigs in pretty much all the time. And I know he's going with Leaky at the four a little bit. I just don't know that that's, that's a plan you can really implement other than this kind of a change of pace. Um, so, so what has to happen? Well, in seven of the 11 games this year, North Carolina has had more turnovers and assists. You've got to cut that down. You've got to make smarter passes. You've got to make better decisions. And as Gregory said, it's not just the guards. I mean, that, that goes into the post as well. Uh, not, not playing smart, not keeping the ball up. How many turnovers uh, not fighting for the ball right now? Yeah, I mean, a lot. And so um, you've got to clean up things there. You've got to play better defensively. And I think if you do those two things, all of a sudden some of these close games are not as close. North Carolina has a bigger margin of victory. Or you, some of these games that have been close, they've lost. Maybe those are wins, and we're talking about a, a different outcome. And so I don't think there has to be major changes moving forward to win more of these games uh, that have been tough for them. However, in terms of this team needing to be good enough to really be a legitimate threat to win the ACC or the ACC tournament or even the NCAA tournament, you get, get past the first weekend, um, I think you do have to see Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Uh, and I think Luke kind of said it, said it best. They kind of have to have an understanding of what they're wanting to accomplish. Um, too often, they're like, All right, well, I'm going to drive, and they get in there and like, oh, I don't know exactly what to do. You can't do that. You have to pick your spots. You have to prod. And that's one thing, if you watch Leaky Black, he does a pretty good job of that. Um, you know, he'll, he'll see, okay, can I, can I get into this little crease here? And if not, he'll, he'll bring it back out. That's what you have to do. You have, you have to pick your spots, see what works. And then I think what will help the guards as well is who is the only big, and I, I may be wrong in this, so correct me, but this is what I've seen. Who is the primary big who actually established position in the post and demands the ball at times? Armando. Armando. Yep. It's pretty clear. I mean, there are times where he'll go down the court and he is adamant that he wants the ball. You have to see more of that. You have to do it and do it and do it and to the point where the defense says, you know what, we're going to take that away by collapsing. Um, and once you do that, then you've got to be able to knock down some outside shots or at least show that you can knock them down. But that kind of gets everything moving. That's where the ball, ball movement comes into play, as you say, Tommy. Um, that's been part of the issue, too, is they, you know, one of the reasons Playtech and Black play a lot together is because they know to move the ball. Um, and just by moving the ball and whipping it around, you get some decent looks. Miami did that incredibly well in the first half down in Coral Gables. I mean, it was night and day from what UNC was doing offensively. They were just firing the ball around even though they didn't have their best players on the court. And so just minor, minor changes like that I, I think would allow this team to play a lot better and to have more success. Uh, but there are a lot of different areas where they have to get a little bit better that would show it. And we just have not seen that quite yet. And I think that's one of the reasons Roy for sure is upset, but also why fans are kind of pulling their hair out as well. Yeah. And they have a propensity just to throw it to the other guy. Do we talk about that? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to drive, I would think getting the ball up on the rim is a heck of a lot better opportunity for Carolina than looking to kick it to somebody who's not there or who's wearing a different Jersey. It's just, the lack of chemistry is surprising to watch. Um, and you mentioned Leakey and Playtech, and they get it. And we bang on Leakey all the time on this podcast, and everybody else does too, and rightfully so at times. But he, he played well the other night, and he, 
I think he and Playtex certainly understand what everybody's trying to do. I'm not so sure that the youth does. And there's a difference. You can see a, a clear difference um, in those guys. Talent, regardless, it doesn't matter if you have all the talent in the world and you're not sure exactly what you're doing. I'm going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about the other end of the floor, um, which I'm going to bring up a topic on a post-game podcast that if folks did not hear, need to hear. But let me take a second and talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. They're sponsors of this podcast. They're certainly great friends of Inside Carolina and Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. They consistently have sales. They're still having sales, even though the holidays are long over. Get your gear, your sweatshirts, your cold weather gear, your rainy weather uh, gear if you need it, and certainly all your tailgating gear because I'm confident we're going to be tailgating in the fall. Somehow, some way, we're going to be back doing that and Johnny T-shirt should go to spot for all of that. And they certainly have really everything you could possibly need, Carolina-related. Any, any topic, any area, go to Johnny T-shirt and support them. They're friends. Get 10% off if you're a premium subscriber. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back. It's on the Beat Podcast with the crew. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right folks we're back inside carolina podcast on the beat gregory hall luke buxton greg barnes the inside carolina uh great team that covers these these guys and we're talking carolina basketball and i'm gonna come to you luke buxton I don't know if you guys heard the post-game podcast with Dewey the other night, but Dewey said that number 50 texted him with some explicatives about the defensive end for Carolina basketball. Luke, if, if Roy is upset about the offensive end, what is he doing? What is he – what's going on in his head about how Carolina's defense has just been 
atrocious for lack of a better way of putting it at times this year. Yeah. I mean, it's frustrating to watch. I think one play that stands out to me was a Caleb Love closeout on a three. And I know Roy doesn't teach you just run out and put your hand up. He teaches you break down, you get a hand in the face. And what Caleb Love did was just run out, throw a hand up, pump fake. Guy drove, big came up, dumped it off to the big for a dunk. And I think it's a lot of stuff like that where I'm sure there's a lot of technical things that UNC needs to get better. But I think a lot of it is just kind of laziness. It's put a lot of effort in on the, on the offensive end. And then when you get to the defensive end, it's just kind of apathy. Um, I think another thing is UNC is hurt a little by athleticism. When you have those three-point shooters in the game, like Kerwin and Playtech, you lose a little bit on the kind of quickness and athleticism laterally. And it, it shows. It, it, people are able to break down and get by and then being able to feed off um, to bigs or create their own shot. Uh, I think the three-point defense is also something that just the, the switches, I think it, it starts with the communication issue. It just seems like people are out of eye. People don't know who they get. They don't know where to switch off to. They don't know their positions on the court. So it's definitely a mix of both, but I don't even know where to start. It's it's a problem that I'm sure keeps Roy up at night. And fair to Tyler Hansbro, it must drive him crazy as well. Yeah. Greg, I'll come to you before I get back to Gregory. I mean, Roy Williams' teams have never been super defensively. They've been good in championship seasons when they've locked it down in the tournament. But I don't – and I, the stats may tell me I'm wrong, but I don't see Roy Williams' team consistently being top flight on the defensive end. But they've never been this bad. The last couple of years, they've been just awful. I mean, is it a system – thing is it a player thing this is not a, a freshman and upper class difference this is a team-wide thing well I think the issue is this is that that Roy is is kind of set in his ways and he, he's stubborn in his ways and he's he's adjusted a little bit over the years you know you if you remember and granted showing my age here but this is six seven years ago it feels like but over at Duke uh, he came out in the second half of, of that game and Carolina was switching screens, which is something that, at, to that point, Roy had really never done. And it worked. It allowed North Carolina to rally. And the whole conversation after that game was, holy cow, he changed his defensive scheme. You know, he's, he's coming around. Um, but Roy is going to Roy, right? And I think the troubling thing is, and Luke and Gregory probably have this at their disposal, but I saw a, a graphic the other day that showed – uh, the, the percentage of three-point shots at the NBA over the last, like, 15 years. And it's like, right? Because they understand that your most efficient shots are the three or layup. Those are your two best shots. We know that now. However, the way that Roy has always coached, I mean, for decades and decades, is he's going to defend the rim, the rim first and foremost. And then he works his way out. Uh, and so that's, I mean, that's the setup. It's, he values defending the layup more than he does three-point shot. And that's just how he's always been. And so that's why when this team in particular, we've always talked about North Carolina struggling with ball screens. And it's, it's crazy. Every team now, pretty much. I mean, NC State put on a clinic a couple weeks ago against Carolina. But you just set up those ball screens. 
and you, you, you say, okay, if you're, if you're going to hedge or you're going to switch, we're either going to split you and get to the rim or we're going to end up with an open shot from deep. That's it. That's all, they, that's all they're trying to do. Nothing fancy. That is their game plan. And in that state game, what happened? North Carolina was not only not good with the screen, they didn't help defense-wise worth a flip either. <laughs> so it became very easy for state. And where North Carolina in the past has had success defensively is even though they've struggled with the ball screen some, we've seen a lot of the sharp hedges and the hard hedges uh, and, the, and the, the switches. Typically, they've been pretty good with help defense. And so what you get is off that screen, somebody may get into lane, and then they'll kick out because help defense has arrived, and somebody will have an open look from three in the corner. And that's kind of where been the frustration has been. We haven't seen that big of an issue with that this year just because help defense has not been as good. Um, so at some point, Roy's going to have to make a decision of, okay, are we going to keep trying to, to do the same thing again and again and again if I don't have the talent on hand to make that change and, and to correct things the way they need to be corrected? Um, you know, that's, that's the great question. And it's funny listening to him on Monday afternoon in the ACC teleconference. He, he point blank said, it's tough preparing for Syracuse because we just don't play zone well. This is not what we do. It's not what I do. And so what we do in practice can never simulate what we're going to see in the game. And that gets back to how he's just dead set and he wants to play man. Uh, and that, that's kind of what he wants to do. And he wants to defend from the rim out. Um, and so that, that's the problem. How, how do you fix that? Other than changing your scheme and changing your approach, you just have to coach the guys up so they're better against the ball screen and they're better with help defense. Uh, and that just has not happened yet this year. Here's an interesting stat. In Carolina's seven wins, the opponent three-point field goal percentage is 29%. And their four losses, it's 44% if you round up. That is a huge difference. And I think it's interesting, like – you have four big guys and three who can play the five, you know, close to seven feet. And you have a seven footer with Walker Kessler. Why not take the chance of having them put their hands up and just being giants and, and trees down there in the lane and your help guys are defending a little bit more in the three and you're able to recover on the three point shot. I think that's what kills Carolina is, is what you mentioned. The basketball has changed. Steph Curry totally changed the NBA and how the game is played. And in the losses, you're looking at a, what, I can do math right, 17% change from three-point shooting and wins versus losses. So wouldn't you think that you might take the chance that Dayron is able to cause some um, commotion with his length or with Walker and that you might put people more out on the wing? I don't know. I don't understand why you would change it up a little. I think it's part of it's because what you described earlier with laziness and not – and they're so – and at this point, switching up schemes as far as with like Caleb Love and the young guys, if they've been coached up to, I mean, at some games they've looked awful on guarding dribble drives, but if they've been coached up to prevent dribble drives and you're trying to switch that, I think you're going to cause even more headaches. So I think at this point you just kind of need to stick with it. But as far as defense, which I don't know how much of it is just teams missing shots or what, but UNC is the 12th most efficient defense in the country. I mean, I love Kim Palm. If you read my previews, I, I'm all over Kim Palm stuff. Um, but you like I I looked at that stat and like they're the twelfth, they're the third best efficient defense in the ACC. I mean, they're right behind Virginia as far as allowing points with per possessions. And it's not like they're playing slow. They're the second fastest team tempo wise behind Syracuse in the ACC. 
So I don't really know how, like, because obviously you watch the games and you're like, this team is not good defensively, especially in the second half. I think what was Georgia Tech came out and shot like 62% at one point in the second half. So I don't know if Greg can ex- explain that, explain that to me about, about why that is with those numbers. If it's just teams having looks and not missing it or, or, or what there, but I mean, 12th, no. 12th in the country. Well, there's lies, damn lies. And then there's statistics. Well, yeah. the, the, the primary thing here is, is rebounding. <laughs> and, and the fact that North Carolina is not allowing these teams multiple looks on the same possession. True. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, I mean, North Carolina is not – and, again, this kind of goes back to – with a Roy Williams team, you know, always harp on, you know, if you go back to 09 and 08, those teams, what did Roy say? Those teams thought they could outscore everybody, and they could. They did. And they did. Very easily in 2012. I mean, even the 17 team, all of his good teams, defense was an afterthought. In part because they were so good offensively, that's also part, that's how Roy Williams is. And so whenever we get to a point and Roy is really harping on defense, to me, that's a pretty good indication that the offense is really struggling and that he's saying, okay, offense is, is not playing well right now. So we've got to get better defensively or else we're really going to suck. Um, and so I, I do think it's more of a, more of a shift of you know, the offense is the big problem, but we're going, to, we're going to blame the defense right now because we're not good at the moment. The defense is not good, uh, but they're not horrible, right? I mean, to your point, Gregory, even if you take away the, the defensive rebounding, which is a big part of that number, I mean, teams are only shooting 48.7% against them, uh, effective field goal percentage. You know, that's – that's a good number. It's not great. I mean, that's kind of middle of the road. Yeah, it's average. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when you're when you're not allowing the opponent to to get many offensive rebounds, that's going to help your bottom line. How do turnovers factor in? Because you're also giving them a lot more shots. Sure. Does that fact you know how Ken Palm factors in turnovers? Because I think what they're at like 280 in turnovers per game. Yep. Yeah. Well, just I was looking at I think earlier one of y'all said. Um, that UNC is not forcing a lot of turnovers. They've forced more turnovers than they turned the ball over four times, and all four of those were wins. Yeah. So, so. when they win the turnover margin, they win the game. They're four now. Yeah. Turnovers to me are, are always one, you get into trouble and you, you're trying to get yourself, you try to bail yourself out and you end up throwing it away, or it's playing to not make a mistake instead of playing to make something happen. And a lot of the passes, Tom, you mentioned, it just looks like they throw it to the other team. I think like yeah, like here you go. I think it was a curling pass. It was just like a slow bounce pass from two feet away. It was like he was nervous. No one on this team. I mean, granted, Caleb sometimes looks like he wants the ball and shoots the ball whenever he wants, but it looks like everyone is waiting for someone else to make a play happen, and it causes a lot of timidness and it causes a lot of playing not to make a mistake or playing just to be out on the court. Like you don't see guys like, you know just speaking in recent history, like Cole or, or, or Kobe, who can really create off the dribble or get a screen and then hit Cam Johnson, who's running off a, a look to you know have a wide open three. It doesn't look like this team is having anyone who has that mindset that they are able to take over and make a play happen. Rather, it's I'm going in and I have no plan or I don't want the ball right now. Let me find someone who can dribble it. I think what this team needs more of, uh, the Notre Dame game is a perfect example. Leaky Black's game winner there at the end. The previous possession, he tried the exact same drive against the exact same defender, and he it 
he missed it because it was defended well. And in the post game, he said he thought he got fouled. So, but he knew it was there and he was either going to get fouled or make the shot. And he was like, I'm, he was like, after the initial breakdown of trying to get a shot off to Kerwin didn't work. Leaky just said, I'm going to go out. I have to go after this guy and I, and it's, it's going to work. And so I think they don't have a lot of that other than that instance. And maybe Playtex shot at the end where it's just kind of like, all right, I need to do this and I'm going to go do it. So uh, I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, and I think, I think Luke hit the nail on the head here and it's, it's not something that the fans want to hear, but I think it's the reality of the situation. If you go back to the NC state game in, in the late game situation, when you've got Devin Daniels, uh, and you got Brexton Beverly out there. I mean, when those kids have the ball in their hands, there's no doubt they know what to do with it. And they're, they're going to try to score. They're going to try to create. Uh, you feel confident if you're an NC State fan or an NC State coach knowing what they're going to do. Georgia Tech. I, mean, I thought that was a – that game was was night and day in terms of confidence in, in the backcourt. Um, Alvarado and DeVoe. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean – those guys wanted the ball. They demanded the ball. They wanted to make the plays. And we can criticize Davis and, and Love all we want to, but they're 11 games into their freshman season. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I think Sherelle said it best the other day, uh, if you want experienced talent, guess what? You have to let guys get experience. So they can become experienced talent. And these guys right now are inexperienced. And as we talked about throughout the entire offseason, this team's going to be a lot better as we get into late January and February than they're going to show earlier in the year. Now, all the things we've talked about before, losing the four games, not having an exhibition, not having the close scrimmage, all those things hurt and condense the schedule. So that puts a lot of pressure on these guys to really develop quickly but, man, I think that's where we're at right now. Otherwise, you're talking about it's going to have to be Playtech and, and Leaky Black in late-game situations, like we saw in Miami, that are going to have to handle things. And, um, you know, not knocking those guys whatsoever, but if that's your, if that's your best option, um, you're not going to be able to challenge for the ACC title or for a deep run in the NCAA. You've got to be able to rely on those freshman guards playing up to their potential for any of those – postseason aspirations to occur you mentioned experienced talent knowing like looking like they know what they do with the ball garrison's experienced talent and right now at times and majority of the time he doesn't look like he knows what to do with the ball so i think this team doesn't get better until he stops doing that and i think that's kind of the basis of it on my opinion obviously rj and caleb like you mentioned are only 11 games in but i don't think this team can get any better until he at least looks like he knows what he's doing down low more than he is right now Who's, yeah, like who's, in your opinion, is taking the last shot? Well, this team. Leaky Black. Come on. Come on. We just saw it. White, White Lightning. The funny thing with Playtech, I remember Adam Smith asked Roy a question. He said, was that a play you called or was that, you know, just something that happened? He goes, we practice it all the time. If you watch the coaches, they swing at the Playtech. They're waving their hands. <laughs> that's not a, that was not the play. I'm just, it's just like no one at the end of the game. I mean, it's funny because you have two game winners in the last two games with, with Leakey and Playtech, but who's taking the shot? And it certainly was not Caleb and RJ, um, you know, at the end of the Texas game or whatnot. Um, I just think it's funny. They don't have any 
one who's, who's got the gusto and, and ready. But it comes with experience. I think UNC fans need to be a little bit patient because you're playing six freshmen. UNC's best teams have been established leaders, good guard play, and developed over the season. I think we'll see that. I really do. Yeah, the gusto, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, because there are some kids that come in, and granted, Cole's an exception, and, and Cole, Kobe White's an exception. But they may not hit the shot. They're taking they, it. They're going to take it. Right. That, that, yeah, and that was my point as far as that when I started, is that this team's not much better than last year, but at least last year had a guy you know. When, in, when it comes down to it, who's getting the ball? Yeah, you can say, here, take the ball and go do something with it. Right. Yep. And that just – that's every team's got to have that. And for me watching them, to see them passing around the perimeter like a hot potato at times, and I don't want to be too critical because I agree with everybody here that it, they're going to get better and the experience has to come. But that's what's most painful to watch a Carolina player. And it's not just the freshman. It's Garrison passing up the opportunity to take take it to the basket. Leaky, to his credit, against uh, Notre Dame, did it twice. And then Playtech drives baseline. Those are building block moments. And while I agree with you, Greg, if those are your two guys that are taking the crunch time shots, it maybe the ceiling's not as high. Um, but in this season, when just getting a win, figuring out how to get a win, um, however you do it, that's all that matters because nobody else save two or three teams in the country are any different. Right. And I think figuring out like getting the wins feels good. I think that's why I was thinking about this, the Clemson game getting postponed and then scheduling Syracuse, I think helps you and see obvious like hundred percent because you've got two way games that came down to the wire game winners where they're two teams that you probably should beat handily a little more than they did. And Clemson's really good. And they're going to frustrate this team offensively more than any team has. I think Clemson has the best defense in the country right now. Whereas, Greg, you and I were talking earlier, and you were explaining how UNC has had success in the past against Syracuse zone. So I think it's kind of a perfect storm of you're coming off two wins. Instead of taking on one of the best defenses, you're taking on Syracuse where you've had success and you should have success if the bigs can attack the class. So I think, I think it worked out for UNC as far as scheduling-wise. Greg, give me a three-minute preview of Syracuse, what Carolina fans can expect. Because I think it, you got to work the high-low. If they can't do the high-low against Syracuse, then I, don't, then I may change my opinion on whether this team gets better. But get the ball on the rim and go get it is, is my game plan for this team against Syracuse. But what sayeth you? Yeah, no, I agree. And, and the fact that North Carolina has won, I think, what, nine of the last ten with – the, the loss being the ACC tournament game last year. Oof. They've kind of figured out. And you know, Syracuse is, is very good with their length uh, in terms of kind of limiting your outside shots and, and hurting your opportunities at, at dribble penetration. But where North Carolina has had so much success is that high-low. And I think when you, when you factor in that I mean, Garrison's a good passer, Armando's a good passer, Dayron's an excellent passer. Um, so if those guys are able to execute, you know, short corner – uh, and then free throw line. And those are the weak spots of the zone, always has been. Bayheim likes to really bring that zone up. And so that, that creates some mismatches down low. Um, and then when you factor in, whenever you're playing a zone, uh, you lack the ability to, to kind of know your responsibility blocking out. And that's why Syracuse has never been a really good 
defensive rebounding team. And North Carolina is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. So a lot of things like that really play in the, the UNC's hands. And the fact Syracuse is 7-2, and two, uh, but they've played really two good teams and lost to both of them. And it's not like we're talking about great teams. We're talking about Rutgers and Pittsburgh. Um, so, so adequate teams that they've lost to. And I think losing somebody like Elijah Hughes, who was, who was a scorer for them, um, Syracuse really doesn't have that. I mean, Buddy Beheim, if he gets hot, he's problematic. Dolajay's fine in the middle. Uh, he tends to get in foul trouble against UNC, it seems like. Uh, so I, I think it's a good matchup, as Gregory said. I think this is – this is beneficial for UNC to have this type of game where they can really just kind of rely on the bigs. I think that's a good thing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's you need to win this one because after this game, Tommy, uh, it starts to get tough. I mean, you go to Florida State, yeah, you have Wake, but it's State, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame again, Clemson, and Duke. Uh, that's that's going to be a tough stretch. So they, they need to take advantage of this one on Tuesday night. Indeed they do. This has been the Inside Carolina Podcast on the beat with Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall and Luke Buxton. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Rate us, review us, all that stuff. Take a chance to uh, subscribe. You get it delivered to your door. Almost like the mailman brings it to your door. Can't beat it. Gregory, Luke, Greg, appreciate it, my friends. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.